You're listening to the True to Life Podcast, a show where we discuss life and analyze ideas as followers of Jesus in a post-Christian context. The True to Life Podcast is hosted by Aaron and Carson, two ordinary guys learning how to live with purpose in a changing world. Together, we'll discover how to be present with God and others in a way that is true to life. Welcome to the True to Life podcast. Carson Rogers, how are you tonight? I am doing just fine, buddy. Peach keen. is wonderful. I have absolutely nothing clever to say and no good introduction and nothing besides the fact that we're doing a screen share and I can see your beaming face and it is making me happy. It's glowing. It's glowing. Yeah. Um, it actually looks kind of washed out because of my... Laptops, mediocre, mediocre webcam. Well, and you have a fun little fake background there, like a like a Zoom call. You know, yeah. one of my favorite things in our evolving professional world today is the um, the as yet undetermined social protocol of what older to middle aged people are allowed to put on their Zoom background, and the <laughs> hilarity and delight with which they will uh, take up the banner of "I'm going to be that guy at the beach while we're having our conference call." And so he's there with a giant palm tree and a Corona behind him while we're talking Mm -hmm. about budget renewals. It's pretty great. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got mine up so you don't see me in my basement, but I mean, if you want to see my basement, I'll take it down. You have a delightful basement. Lots of, lots of natural, solid hardwood rafters and timbers. uh, I was going to say lots of concrete cinder blocks and, uh, pink insulation in the ceilings. I was thinking that house has good bones. Oh, well, I guess so. But yeah, I used to do uh, home inspections a, a long while back. And some houses, especially those built somewhat recently, you crawl underneath them. And if they're if they're wet underneath the house and they have uh, high humidity, there were some where I could put my fingers into the joists under a house and like shove my fingers through the wood. And that's not like the entire subfloor, but it's like here and there. And it's great termite food, but it's just like literally falling apart. It's absolutely horrifying. That is horrifying. I'd be afraid of like falling through the floor. Have I shown you in my basement where like half of it is a crawl space? No, but I'm very familiar with that type of uh, layout. Okay. I'll show you later. Okay. Okay. That's exciting. Well. But for right now, we've got a podcast to do. That's true. I I got my candle lit. I got my coffee beans. As per the usual. As per the usual. Uh, Any any major life updates of which you'd like to apprise me before we get started? Nah. um, I'm excited about the topic tonight. I'm excited about the topic tonight, too. I think it was very good. I appreciate the thought you put into uh, constructing a conversation a few conversation points and I'm really excited to talk about it with you. So you want to, you want to give a brief introduction of um, some of the thoughts you had leading into it. So uh, we decided to do an episode about how to be a disciple when you don't feel like it. And I am reminded of the, uh, the old quote that uh, goes something like 
um, those who teach teach what they need to know the best, or I can't remember how that goes now. We often teach what we need to learn. The, we often teach the best what we need to learn the most. Is that it? I'm unfamiliar, but that is uh, a good aphorism. Okay. I'll take it. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like I needed this uh, topic in a podcast or an outline or uh, just sitting down to write an outline for the sake of my own thoughts. And, um, and, and I find like, as we discuss this, um, the, the process that we're going to get into, I, I find is something that I kind of do naturally. Um, but not necessarily well. Um, like I need to learn how to do it better, but the way that it's uh, laid out in the discussion uh, sheet that you and I are looking at, I feel like is kind of the way I mentally approach it. Um, because I feel like, well, I, I know for me at least, and I, I'm not going to say that I'm the only one. I know I'm not the only one, but I mean, there's plenty of times where, we don't feel like being good Christians or we don't feel like putting the effort in, uh, to be a disciple. Um, there's plenty of times where we just feel like way too spent, uh, to exert the effort. We feel like it takes to be a disciple the right way. (laughs) Um, and I, I get that way. Um, and so this was, uh, I guess, preparation for this was a, a good reminder to me of kind of how to break out of that and, and kind of get back to where I need to be and ultimately want to be. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm excited to talk through that with you, but first I got to clear up a, a bit of your heresy because weren't there only a certain amount of apostles and only 12 disciples? And as a firm cessationist, I think I need to call you on this. So what do you mean when you say disciple? Oh, uh, well, I'm just kidding, but right. So what do we mean? How to be an apostle when you don't feel like it? I know I was making a joke. Okay. Um, yeah, but, uh, basically I think when we talk about being a disciple, um, it can be described, uh, a few different ways. Uh, a disciple in Jesus day, uh, was just a person who follows Jesus, um, and I think probably at its core, that's probably the the easiest way to think about it. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, uh, also, you know, in uh, that culture, a disciple was actually almost like an apprentice um, where they would follow a teacher and learn from that teacher and uh, live and observe with or live with and observe uh, that teacher um, so that they get immersed in that teacher's life and teaching. Um, and so I feel like as disciples today, that's essentially the same thing that that we're doing is we're trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus, um, to, to walk with him, to live with him, to learn from him, uh, to mimic what he does. Um, and I feel like ultimately, um, when, at least in Christian circles, when you talk about what it means to be a disciple, um, we're, we're basically just talking about Christians in general. Um, somebody who's experienced Jesus, um, has 
been brought into the life of Christ and has been declared righteous by God, uh, regardless of how they feel or whatever experience they've had or uh, whatever words they said when they prayed. Ultimately, they've had a change of being from a person who was not in Christ to now a person who is in Christ and following and living with Christ. Um, and that doesn't mean we always do it perfectly, uh, but as a general, um, you know, uh, portrait of our life um, and, you know, just trying to get an idea of what our overall um, life is like, then uh, it should be one um, where we, live with Jesus. We love Jesus. We prioritize Jesus. We worship him. We learn from him and we mimic him in obedience. Mm -hmm. And I, like you said earlier, you, um, you said the word apprentice. I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. And, uh, I, one of the things I love about the modern job market is apprenticeship seems to be making a comeback because people have started to see the value of not necessarily an education where you learn all about something theoretically and then you just get thrown into the deep end. They've learned the value of go and find a person, get in on the ground floor with them, uh, mimic them, learn from them, become more like them, get your on-the-job training, and as time goes on, you'll become more and more like that professional to whom you're apprenticed. Yeah. And that to me seems so much like a lot of what we do in the, the Christian life. Like we spend so much time going to Sunday school and playing dress up and uh, going to school and learning about the Bible and doing endless Bible studies and word studies without ever doing the hard work of just sitting with Jesus, becoming more like him and going through our lives, becoming a more and more accurate reflection of him. Hmm. It's so much easier to learn everything about Jesus and not have to practice it than it is to get so close to him and go through the ups and downs and the trials of life and become more like him. So I really yeah. like that you said apprentice yeah, in that way. That's good. I feel like um, a lot of times it's easier um, emotionally to learn about Jesus than it is to learn from Jesus or learn with Jesus to learn what is he up to and and what impact does that have on my life and how should that impact how I live? It's a lot easier to learn the Bible stories and the theology of, you know, the categories and things that we can put Jesus into. Mm -hmm. um, but actually taking the other step of, uh, you know, slowing down and, and walking with Jesus and learning from him and, um, and ha letting that impact my heart, that's that's a lot harder work a lot of times. That's true. I, uh, I'm going to steal one of Tony Morita's uh, sermon illustrations because it's my favorite one that he ever um, says. And I, I feel like he says it about once a year. And so it's something I always get a kick out of is he talks about um, when he tells his kids to go clean their room and then he leaves the house and he comes back six hours later. He says, all right, kids, how'd the day go? And they said, dad... It went really well. We uh, we took what you said. We wrote it down. We diagrammed your sentences. We did word studies. Uh, we looked up uh, the etymology of all the words you used. We translated "go clean your room" into Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and Italian, and it was great. We did a great job. And then he goes in their rooms, and their rooms are filthy, and nothing got done. 
but they literally knew everything about his commandment to go clean your room. And that's always a little bit convicting to me because uh, I really enjoy studying and learning and uh, playing dress up with the knowledge of God's commandments. And for example, uh, love people, be patient with them. Um, And in my particular case, let's say love your wife and be patient. But I've failed in two or three times this last week of loving her and being patient with her. And so it's, it's not a, it's not a lack of knowledge or a lack of preparation or a lack of um, head knowledge. It's just a lack of actually doing the thing. Yeah. I think for me at least, and maybe this would be true for you. It's, it's not even only a lack of doing the thing. It's sometimes a lack of wanting to do the thing. Yeah, that's like, like it, it, there are some times where I genuinely don't want to do what I know I should do. Yeah. Well, so what's that feeling like? Uh, uh, (laughs) Normal everyday existence. Um, No, I mean, it, everybody has those kind of feelings. I think um, sometimes it, it manifests as complacency where you just kind of, meh, I don't really care. Um, Maybe you lose sight of, uh, of the importance. Uh, I mean, because any, any fair reading of the new Testament, um, if you read the new Testament to try and figure out what does a disciple look like, any fair reading is going to come away with the idea that this issue of being a disciple and this issue of, uh, of following Jesus is the absolute most important thing that you will ever decide to do or not do with your life. Um, and that not only is it the most important thing about your life, but also, um, like your eternity hinges on it. So I don't like it, it, it always, surprises me and maybe it shouldn't, but when I get those feelings of, uh, I just don't want to do that. Like, why would I not? (laughs) Like, because I know, you know, it's like you said in my head, I know what's at stake. Um, and I know the, the ramifications, uh, of this. I know that, um, I know what I should do, but sometimes my heart just wants to do what it wants to do. Um, so maybe it's complacency. Um, I know for me personally, I, I get to a point of, uh, exhaustion sometimes where I don't feel like I have it in me to pull myself together and, and fix myself. Um, which ironically I would say is, um, exactly contra the gospel, right? The gospel is not that we fix ourselves. One of the, uh, things that stuck with me, uh, when I was, uh, when I was in seminary, I took a class with a guy named Don Whitney and, uh, he was talking about this, uh, this idea of, um, of restoring ourselves spiritually. And he said, you know, we don't believe in the doctrine of solo bootstrapa. <laughs> um, and it took me a second to, to realize what he was getting at, but, um, and he obviously he's playing on, uh, you know, the five solos quick, what are they? Not even going to try. Okay. Wait, okay. Sola fide, sola scriptura, sola, sola de gloria. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Sola fide, sola gratia, uh, solus Christus, uh, sola deo gloria, 
Which one did I miss? No, no, no. I, I inserted a lie there. So the day Gloria is not actually a, a fide. It's not a fide, but it's a sola. I'm just going to narrate your facial expressions while you think. Going from confused to frustrated. Anyway, in yard line, we're about to test said, down we don't, here we don't sola. do sola bootstrapper. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't that you need to get yourself to a point to where you can fix yourself. Uh, the gospel is that you can't fix yourself. And so Jesus comes in and fixes you for you. Um, so, but, you know, in those moments of exhaustion where I just feel overwhelmed or run down, I feel like I don't, I don't have the energy to do this. Like, Sometimes in those times, it's it's difficult to remember that, like, well, of course you don't, you idiot. Um, you never did. Uh, you were never able to to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, I think anybody who's been a Christian uh, for any length of time uh, will be able to understand the the feeling of spiritual valleys. Um, we call like mountaintops and valleys. Sometimes we feel like we're riding an emotional and spiritual roller coaster. Uh, you have these really high moments and uh, these really low moments. Um, you know, David talked about uh, the valley of the shadow of death. That's kind of uh, akin to that language. Um, uh, you know, the uh, the Bible says, "Don't grow weary of doing good." But sometimes I just I, don't, I feel weary of doing good. Like I don't. <laughs> I don't want the the stress and strain of of having to be responsible for doing good, um, if I'm honest. And so sometimes that breeds frustration. Um, you and I were talking about this uh, off air, but sometimes we just don't understand our circumstances. Um, why are things the way that they are? Um, why are things not more like I expected them to be? Um, sometimes that frustration can turn into to anger on God or anger at God, I should say. Um, but all of those things, ultimately, um, they can be true about a person. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that person's completely lost, right? He's, he's not so far gone that God can't restore him. And ultimately, um, you know, our emotions are a good indicator. They're kind of like a warning light on a, on a car. You know, if you, uh, see the check engine light and you run, you know, the car without getting it checked out, uh, you know, you're headed for trouble. Our emotions are kind of like that. They don't determine necessarily, um, our state of being just like the check engine light doesn't determine if the car is going to break or not. The engine does. Um, but our emotions are like a, a good indicator of kind of how our, um, how our spiritual state is a lot of times, not all the time. And uh, I certainly don't want to discount like, uh, things like depression and stuff that can also have a, you know, a very physical, um, uh, Genesis, but, uh, but generally speaking for, uh, spiritual things like that, when we have these valleys and dry spells, um, you know, sometimes, uh, those emotions can clue us into the fact that, uh, that we're in that place and that maybe there's some kind of change that needs to take place in order to fix that. Right. So everything you just talked through was an answer to what do we mean when we just don't feel like it? And that was when we don't feel like being a, a follower or a disciple or an apprentice, we just don't feel like reflecting Jesus or continuing to learn 
And you had mentioned a few things there, like complacency, exhaustion, dry spells. And I was thinking as you were talking through that, what is what is something I see a really common, uh, what, what's one of the most common of those traps? And I really think that it's just a exhaustion that can lead to kind of a malaise for people. Because I don't think we ever get to the point where we, we don't have the intention of being a good disciple and that it's not on our to-do list. All those things just push it to the bottom of the to-do list. And we get so caught up with the cares of the world and we get so probably disappointed with our own performance that we just get stuck in kind of a, a malaise where if you think about the doldrums and a, a ship's just stuck out at sea, just the wind quits blowing and it's not that we don't want to go somewhere. It's just that there's nothing that we feel like is pushing us along and we just feel stuck. And I think that's where I feel like I get sometimes. I know it's where you feel like you get sometimes and where I feel like a lot of people are where it's easier just to feel stuck with good intentions Mm-hmm. than it is to just scrap the whole plan. Because if we were forced to say, I don't intend on being a disciple of Christ, I don't think it's worth it, I would rather just do what I want to do. That would more accurately describe a lot of our lives on any given day, Yeah, but it's not something we're willing to say. Right. We're always willing to say, it's just too hard right now, I'm going to get to it, I'm just in a dry spell, and I'm just feeling crushed right now, and I can't do it but the intention's there. But I think that a lot of people, and I I strongly feel that temptation, I think a lot of people can get in that place and just live the rest of their life like that. Mm. And I think that if you're, if you're Mr. The Devil, or if you're, uh, or if you're just even the, the sin nature that we all have, there's no more insidious trap that you can get someone into than giving them the very best of intentions and giving them just a little bit more than they can handle on their own and watch them never become a committed follower of Christ. And yeah, they made a saying about that, I think, didn't they? I'm I'm quite sure they did not. Okay. I'm just kidding. Um, but yes, the the pavers on the road to hell are are your good intentions. I've mm-hmm. seen them. Yep. And um, mine. And mine. Um so yeah, and I, I think ultimately that's kind of what this turns on. Uh, so uh, one of the other things I thought about, um, you know, we, we talked about doing this episode uh, about what it means to be a disciple when you don't feel like it. But as I started to think through some of these issues and uh, do some of the show prep, I really realized like uh, this is not only just how to be a disciple. This is really how to repent um, and what it means to uh, renew your affections for God and what it means to uh, change your direction and change your attitude. Like the Bible says a lot about repenting and, and we often in sermons and books and uh, people that we trust and, and all that kind of stuff, we hear people talking about the necessity of repentance, uh, but we don't really t- hear people talk, or at least I don't uh, too much about how we repent. Um, it's just kind of like a, okay, well, we define it. Uh, it means to turn from and turn to, uh, turn from what you're doing and turn to something new. And that, that we, I guess we just think that that automatically explains it to people. Like they just intuitively know how to do that. And I don't think that's probably the case. I think maybe there's, uh, 
there's benefit in kind of unpacking how do we actually go through that process. Um, so I know for me, like there are times when I frankly, I enjoy my sin. Like, and, and I'll be the first one to say that, like, cause I feel like it, when it's, it's very uncommon for people, particularly like in Christian subculture to say, I enjoy my sin. Um, but I mean, in reality, that's the truth or else nobody would do it. Um, I mean, we, we sin because we like it. Um, and regardless of, you know, what kind of conflict we feel internally about that, um, ultimately, like we have to own up to that fact in order uh, to change anything. And so I think, you know, as we start talking about um, what this process looks like, I think it's going to become clear that um, really a lot of this turns on uh, your ability to be honest and just say, you know what? I don't like the implications of it, but the truth is <laughs> I really do love my sin. Um, or I really do love my lack of commitment, or I really do love the, the freedom that I feel and the lack of pressure I feel by being able to do my own thing. Right. Yeah. One of the most insightful things that one of my old pastors used to say, and I know I've repeated this before is, uh, you will do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And at first, that sounds like an overly simplistic saying. And then I thought about it, especially in the context of uh, when I'm committed to a certain sin or whatever that might be. If if you have to say, I'm doing what I want to do, and it's not following God, what you're saying is, I do not want to follow God right now. And that's a hard thing to say. I think one common theme that I'm I'm feeling as we're talking through this is that we don't want to clearly state what's going on in our lives. Like we don't want to bring it into the light and just call it what it is because uh, what it is, is me saying, I do not want to be a follower of Christ right now. I am enjoying my sin more than that. And I'm making the choice to choose this over choosing God right now. And even when that very clearly describes my actions, it's not something I would like to name. I would much rather just say, uh, I'm having a hard time right now, and I've fallen into a pattern of sin, and my intentions are to get out of it. I'm just going but through that's... a dry spell right now. Um, right. You know, it's been it's been a season. <laughs> well, yeah, and and to me, one of the best ways to think through you will do what you want to do is just think of any really angry person that you ever met. Now, they would probably tell you um, that they don't want to be the one that's yelling all the time, and they don't want to be the angry one. But if you provoke them their response is to scream and yell. And in that moment, they are doing what they want to do because it feels good to do it. Now, my reactions, um, I'm a little bit more of a quieter person on the outside, so I'm not going to scream and yell, but I'm going to retreat inside myself and I'm going to be angry. And that's no better than the person who just flips out and yells at somebody. But in those moments where I decide to retreat and not engage with someone or not engage, engage with God, I'm doing what I want to do because it's more comfortable for me. And oftentimes, well, anytime that you're not pursuing God and you're not pursuing what's right, when you're just doing what you want and what's more comfortable, um, I don't see how that's a good thing. Now, we may often feel like 
it's gotten so difficult that we're powerless in its grasp. And I, I think that there are certain things that are just beyond our strength. But then we have to grapple with, well, what does God give you the grace to do? And at what point is it appropriate to bring in someone else for counsel or even in uh, certain situations like take medication uh, for a shorter or a longer period of time? Or There are outside interventions, but I think that the vast majority of times when we find ourselves outside of the will of God, it's because we are doing exactly what we want to be doing and we are just refusing to call it that. Yeah. I, uh, I think if we could figure out how to be honest with ourselves, um, and I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. You said, name it. Like if you can name it, like if you can actually describe what it is and then admit that to yourself and own it, regardless of the implications, I think that goes a long way in kind of, um, turning the tide, but, uh, we're kind of 28 ish, 29 ish minutes in at this point. Uh, what do you say we take a break and then when we come back, maybe we can talk through, uh, some of the steps of uh, this process. That sounds good. We'll be right back. And we're back. And I know that it has only been the breath of the briefest moment for you, dear listener, but Carson and I managed to squeeze an entire half hour argument into our, our break there. So that was, it wasn't an argument. It was a discussion. I'm just kidding. It was an amicable discussion between friends, which I very much enjoyed. I just, I just had to check to make sure you were okay and you were okay. And I was okay. I'm okay. Are you okay? No, I'm very emotional right now. It's okay. Now you have to comfort me. I'm, I'm okay with you not being okay. Perfect. All right. So let me, if I may, attempt to recap where uh, I think we left off, which was um, that at, right before we talk about how we handle and correct the type of problem that we've been talking through, uh, we were talking about the ways that we fall into the, the traps of, of not caring or being uh, in a malaise or just feeling like we're stuck because of complacency or exhaustion or just feeling like we're in a spiritual dry spell. And one thing I think emerged from that conversation is, to me, those often feel like euphemisms. And at the end of the day, we're really doing what we want to do. And Carson, right before we went to break, had made the point that it, if we just name, name the thing that we're doing, it can often bring a lot of clarity to that thing. Just saying, um, I'm angry with my wife right now. I'm going to choose to be mean to her and ignore her instead of making up with her. That's much harder to do than saying, I'm just in a bad place right now and I just don't feel like engaging. Like if you actually take the time to concretely lay out what you're doing and use small words to describe it, you'll find with a, a horrifying thrill uh, that what you're doing is is pretty awful a lot of the time and that you should most likely repent of that thing. Uh, and so Carson and I talked a little bit about what repenting was. I'm not sure if we actually got to the end of that definition, did we? Uh, no, I mean, I think just generally we we kind of described it as a turning from uh, what you're currently engaged in and turn, returning, uh, turning toward uh, Christ. Um, so in insofar as whatever it is that you're doing, 
uh, draws you away or leads you astray from, uh, from following him. Uh, it's a turning away from that thing and turning back toward, uh, Christ to follow him again. Right. And I think in my mind to even simplify that farther, if you're again, willing to just very simply name what you're doing and you, you can either say, I choose Christ or I choose my sin. Like I choose anger or I choose Christ. I choose to lie or I choose Christ, or I choose to love myself more than I choose to love my spouse right now. Yeah. Like actually just putting a name on those things and simply describing them. Uh, it's going to be very clear what you should do. <laughs> the, the whole problem with this is it's not going to be mysterious. Uh, once, once you describe what's actually going on and you talk through it with yourself, you're never going to be left wondering, well, which one of these is the better thing? Uh, yeah. Because it's always I mean, going to, most to of be. the time, <laughs> yeah, most of the time we, we kind of intuitively know what we should be doing. Um, but, uh, what we are doing and what we should be doing and what we could be doing might be different things. So, um, so yeah, we've got a couple steps here. Um, at least as I kind of thought through them when we're preparing for, uh, for this episode, um, about kind of a, a mental, emotional, spiritual process that we move through, um, and this is not necessarily cut and dry. Maybe some of these things overlap a little bit. Maybe these things happen over a period of time. Maybe they happen nearly immediately. Like when you said, do I want Jesus or do I want this other thing? That's ultimately the place that we're heading. Uh, but maybe it takes us a little bit of time and, and thought and soul searching or maybe even just a little emotional work to be able to get there. Um, maybe it takes us a little bit of time to work up the bravery to be able to say, you know what? I don't like the implications of this because I know what the implications are, but this is actually true about me. Um, and that, that may be just as hard to admit to yourself as it is to anyone else. So, uh, maybe if we, uh, kind of put some, uh, some steps in place, um, maybe it'll kind of help, uh, solidify how we can keep moving through that process. Right. Well, and quick question. Do you ever feel like you're surprising God when you admit your sin to him? <laughs> like it's not really real to him unless, unless you tell him. So I do feel like that. Uh, but I mean, I know I shouldn't feel like that. Um, I mean, whenever I'm, I don't know what it is about sin. Um, and, and you, you know, you see this in the Bible too. Like people think that they can hide from God. And like when I, when I remember when I was in Sunday school, right. With the little, uh, flannel graph watching the, the story about, uh, Adam and Eve, right. Um, they ate the fruit and they sinned, and then they went and hid from God. I remember like as a five or six year old thinking, well, that's stupid. Like nobody can hide from God. Like he knows better. Like, why would he do that? Um, and I think, you know, it, it really doesn't, um, it's not that simple because sin has a way of making us feel hidden. Um, not just of like, I can get away with this. I'm going to hide from God and do this, but also it has a way of feeling from our perspective, like we're separated, uh, from the face of God, right? Like we don't have that connection, uh, that you do when you, when you countenance somebody, right. When I look you in the face, there's a, a connection there. And, you know, I don't feel that with God when I'm in the middle of sin. 
but if you ask me theologically and you know uh intellectually can god see you right now in the middle of what you're doing i mean of course the answer is yes and so that honestly in in some points in my life has been the thing that's kind of shaken me awake uh out of my sin is like dude you realize that like god's watching you right now like <laughs> this isn't this isn't hidden you know he's right here with you watching you do what you're doing. Um, and in that respect, I mean, that is kind of a, uh, a jolt to our system because sin has a way of kind of lulling us into this temporary false sense of security where we're going to get away with it or that it's really not that big of a deal. When in reality, everything is laid bare in front of God's eyes. There's nothing that's hidden from him. And so while we might not be running behind the tree in a fig leaf, trying to physically hide from God, we, we do in a, in a mental and emotional sense, very much practice this idea of hiding from God. Um, you know, Jonah did it when he, uh, uh, when he got on the ship, right. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he got on a ship, went the opposite direction. Um, there's multiple, uh, instances of this, but, um, you know, that experience of spiritual distance and spiritual hiddenness and, uh, maybe in a, a, a desire to hide from God or thinking, or maybe at least allowing ourselves to believe temporarily that it's okay. He'll be okay with it. You know, he doesn't really see it, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I think that that is, uh, it's not a surprise to God, but I think when we, to answer your original question, do I feel like it's a surprise to God? I think when we go through the process of repentance, one of the beautiful things about that is we come to a realization that this was never hidden from God. And so by acknowledging that, that this was never hidden from God, that he has seen all of this, that he knows all of it, but we want to align ourselves with him. So we are, you know, in a sense, declaring to God what he already knows to be true. Really, the change is for our benefit, not necessarily God's benefit. Um, Isn't it strange how that's always the way it works? Right. So, um, so no, it's no surprise to God. But, you know, when we actually come to that moment of repentance, um, I think we might feel like it is, or at least maybe uh, feel silly for thinking that was the case. Um, or for not realizing the fullness of, of which he has um, awareness of our actions or, or however you want to describe it. But yeah, um, I think that's a completely normal uh, feeling to have. Um, and it's right. just part of the process. Yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you for the mental image of uh, you hiding from God in a fig leaf. That's, <laughs> that's going to hurt. If I was ever in a fig leaf, I would be hiding and not only from God. <laughs> good um i was wondering too so when we when we come and we confess to god i wonder sometimes if there's a danger in that confession because and of course confession is the right thing to do but it's us doing something so if we if we feel like everything's hidden from god or at least behaving like it is and then we come and we get this big burden off our chest and we're like all right god just going to tell you everything. I'm going to confess now. I'm going to repent. 
whew, look at all of that repenting I just did. I think that for me, sometimes there's a danger in all of that effort I just put into confessing and repenting and feeling like I've just done something, just done something really good. Look at me go. Mm-hmm. But God isn't interested in our performance there, even in the performance of confessing. And I really liked how you kind of crystallize it there. It's like, it's not for our benefit or it's not for God's benefit. Like what he wants is to reconcile us to him. Like when he's watching us sin, uh, in the words of the psalmist, like, I know my sin is ever before you. Mm-hmm. Like he understood and he recognized that like David who um, murdered Bathsheba's husband and um, stole her for himself. Like God called him a man after his own heart. It's so hard to reconcile like someone who did all of those heinous things could still understand that his sin was always before God. It just gets to the fact that it's nothing new for humans to feel like we're able to somehow block off our sin or at least part of our psyche from God while we're committing those sins. But he's always there and he's not looking down at us in anger if we're his children. He's looking down at us in grief. And there's such a difference between anger and grief. Like you can only grieve someone who loves you profoundly and who wants to reconcile with you. Like anyone can be angry at you, but you can only grieve someone who cares about you. And so it's not that God's waiting for us to performatively come back to him and um, do a bunch of repenting and, uh, and talking and admitting and then get that off our chest and go on. It's that he wants us to reconcile to himself, which takes us understanding that we have sinned and that we've fallen short of God but he knows that that's the the worst thing for us. Yeah. And so it's 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 very complicated and I think that we get ourselves into I think it's really easy to play mind games where we get comfortable with sin and we just do the easy thing and again just fall back into that malaise of just kind of half thinking through what we're doing so that we don't have to do the hard thing of saying God I understand that I'm sinning right now. I'm choosing this thing instead of you and I know that breaks your heart. And in the best moments, it should break our heart too. Yeah. And as we were talking about in the beginning of the this conversation, like being a disciple means means being being more and more like Christ, like becoming more of an image or follower of Him. And I think the more closely we reflect Him, the more closely, um, or the more closely we'll hold that sin breaks our hearts too. Yeah. As we get closer to what Christ feels. Uh, so two things, uh, based on what you just said, I'd, I'd kind of like to, uh, piggyback off of. So one, you made the point of like coming to God and, um, and like saying a prayer, um, you know, admitting to God that what we did was wrong and you, uh, at least in your example, it kind of equated that with repentance. Um, and I think that may definitely be a sign of repentance, Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, argue that point at all. Um, what I would say is I don't know that that in, uh, in and of itself is, uh, sufficient, uh, to be able to be called repentance. Um, like the, the idea of repentance has a connotation of turning away from something and turning back to, so maybe in, and, and follow me on this. I don't, maybe I won't make any sense on this, but I feel like at least based on my experience, 
um, that the complacency we feel uh, when we're in the midst of sin might even uh, bleed over into how we approach God. Um, so in other words, like if there's a sin that I know I struggle with, maybe I just kind of haphazardly throughout the day, oh, well, God, I did it again. I'm sorry. And then I just move on with my day versus actually owning what I did and recognizing the importance of it and, and kind of considering it, uh, for a little while. Um, because, you know, I may be complacent in terms of the actions I take, and maybe I've fallen into a sense of complacency where, well, if, if I keep doing this and I just say, I'm sorry each time, then God's okay with it. And like, that's not repentance, right? Repentance is, um, a change in attitude. Yes. But ultimately a change in attitude that leads toward a change in action. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, nobody screws up more than once. Um, it doesn't mean that if, um, if you admit your wrongdoing to God, that you may have a genuine attitude of repentance, but then fall back into that same, same sin later on. Um, but this this process of repentance is like cyclical, repetitive. It's it's a way of being that you are in a a state of contrite repentance and obedience toward God, such that when you fall away, your your goal is ultimately to be restored in that right standing, and to do that as many times as it takes to be able to achieve, you know, the change in action that obedience is actually after. So that would be uh, the one thing I would say. Um, it, it was just kind of the way you described that made me think, you know, that, um, that complacency in our sin can maybe even bleed over to, to being too flippant with, with our, uh, confessions and our apologies toward God, um, yeah, where we don't really so. take it uh, seriously. Um, the other thing I would say, and I, I can think, I, can I address that? Well, yeah, while sure. Just, uh, so yes, I agree a hundred percent with that. Um, and just quickly, I, I think that for confession and for things like reading the Bible, I found to be very true in my own life, that it is a much truer and much more real experience of prayer, confession, and and Bible reading, if before I do that, I stop and get very quiet and think about who God is before I do any of those things. Because I think it's really easy, especially with someone who was raised to believe that God is gracious and God will forgive you, um, which I was, which I'm thankful for. I was not raised with a vision of God as the God who's about to throw a thunderbolt down on top of my head and kill me if I do something wrong. So I kind of can err toward, it's going to be okay. He's going to forgive me. There's grace there. I just sinned. I've got like a few seconds here. I'm just going to repent. God, I'm so sorry. Help me not to do that again. Amen. Like those confessions come very naturally to me and very easily. But what doesn't come naturally and easily is sitting down and thinking, all right, who are you about to talk to? Well, it's the God who created the universe. It's the God who, in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah has his vision and he just is quivering and falls on his face and doesn't even want to say anything and says, 
God, I'm a man of unclean lips that dwells in the midst of an unclean people. I'm just not even worthy to be here, probably to be alive. Get me out of this place. What am I doing here? For me, it, it I need to get a good balance of who I'm talking to when I'm talking to this God who the Bible calls a consuming fire, who holds life and death in his hands, who literally created me out of nothing, who is responsible for the the breath of life that's in me, and I've sinned against him. I've done something that the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And the only way that I've escaped death is because he sent his son to die for me. All of that, if you stop and think about it, can either terrify you or it can give you an appropriate appropriate amount of terror, but also an incredible joy and feeling of thankfulness and gratitude for a God who sees you as you are, has saved you from yourself and from your sin, and who wants you anyway, and who loves you so much that he's willing to have this dialogue that we call prayer with you and allow you to come to him and repent. It's not like you're doing him any favors. It can't be that fun just sitting there waiting for us to finally come back and talk to him and repent. But if you if you take a moment to get a vision for who God truly is before you talk to him, before you read your Bible, before you come to him in repentance, to me, that's pretty life-changing because yeah. it means so much more when I do it than if I just flippantly come to him and I'm like, sorry, all right, talk later. Yep. Yeah, I think, and that's the thing uh, maybe that kind of highlights what I think you and I are both getting at is um, repentance isn't just something to be checked off the list of to-dos, right? It's it's really about um, embodying what you believe and what God uh, has declared that you are as a believer. Um, God has declared you righteous. So repentance is just a way of living into that reality in a way that you don't when you're in sin. Um, that's well said. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think you and I are both, uh, kind of hitting on the same thing there. Um, good. So, uh, the only other thing I was going to say was, um, I, I would, I think we would be remiss if we only equated um the times that we don't feel like it with times where we ourselves have sinned um i don't at all want to discount there may be times that we get frustrated we don't understand what god's doing we don't understand our circumstances um we're tired we're you know um we're stressed you know whatever the case is um, where we maybe haven't even done anything wrong, but just because we live in a fallen world and we, uh, we're human and we're finite, we get to a point to where it would just be easier if I didn't have to do this. Right. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, uh, comes to mind, you had, you know, when, in terms of the sinfulness, we had mentioned, uh, Adam and Jonah and, uh, you mentioned, uh, David, um, but one of the other uh, biblical characters that comes to mind for me is somebody like Job. Um, Job has all of these external circumstances that just absolutely wreck his life. And he gets to a point to where, like, I just wish God would kill me. 
Like, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. I just wish I could die. But there's nothing in that story of Job that indicates that what happened to Job externally to make him feel this way was of his own making, right? It was something that was external to him. It was something um, that was uh, brought on him from outside of him. Now, that doesn't mean he's not also responsible for uh, his response to those circumstances. He absolutely is. Um, and ultimately, he he basically comes to a point to where uh, you know God kind of has to give him a reminder of who he is. And he's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to shut my mouth because you're God and I'm not. Um, but I, I don't want to, to minimize the, the fact that um, maybe even for some people out there who are listening to this, that there may be circumstances in your life that are going on right now that make you feel very distant from God. And that might not be because you've sinned. But I do think it is an opportunity for you to have that relationship restored. And I think some of the steps that we're going to move through uh, could help do that um, and and determine and maybe not even um, it's not just that you that, you know, you should be closer to God. It's maybe uh, helping you develop the, the motivation and the desire, the will um, to be closer to God. Um, because ultimately, like you, like you said, we're going to do what we want to do. So maybe what we need to to do is help ourselves develop a way to want to. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that before we move on, you make a very good point. I think that it's very important to realize that there is oftentimes a difference between sin and suffering. And one doesn't always follow from another. Like in this life, Christians aren't promised a life free of suffering. Oftentimes, sin does lead to suffering, but oftentimes suffering just arrives on its own by virtue of the fact that we're human. And in those moments of uh, of suffering, whether or not they were caused by sin, God is there and he wants his grace to be sufficient for us. And any time that we can see or disentangle and understand that our suffering is caused by sin, definitely we should repent of that sin. But I think as you were saying, that that shouldn't always be equated that only sin brings suffering. Sometimes you don't know why it's there. But in that moment, God's grace will be sufficient for you if you let him. But that doesn't mean it's ever going to be easy. Sometimes it will be just mind-bendingly difficult. Yeah. Good. Uh, well, what do you say we uh, we kind of move through some of these steps and kind of uh, talk through what this process looks like? Um, we've kind of hit on this um, multiple times already, but um, the first thing I would say we need to do is just admit it and own it. Um, we've said you've got to be honest with yourself. Nothing's going to change otherwise. It's not surprised to, to God anyway. But ultimately, in order to start the the process of restoration, we just have to be honest with ourselves. Like, and I think the thing that keeps I, I keep being reminded of is the fact that um, most of the time when I don't want to admit it, it's because I already know what the implications of that are. And so there's a there's a point at which you have to come face to face with those 
implications acknowledge that, okay, in my heart, I don't like what it means about me, but in my heart, if I'm really honest, I want to do this thing more than I want to follow Jesus right now. Right. Um, or, you know, if it's not something that's sin within you, if it's some kind of external suffering, um, you know what? I feel angry. I feel frustrated. I feel alone and I know God is with me, but it doesn't feel like that. And if I'm perfectly honest, that's how I feel right now. So it can, it can just as well be, um, it really is a, a, a honesty about the way you feel about God, about yourself, about what it is you're doing. If it's something, you know, you shouldn't be doing. Um, so be honest about it. Um, that's where change starts and it doesn't surprise God. Um, the next thing I would say, and we kind of touched on this too, is you need to realize that, that this problem isn't unique to you. Like you're not alone. And I, maybe that's not a necessary step for this process of repentance, but for me, at least I find it's a very helpful step. Um, I I tend to be way harder on myself than other people are um, because I guess I have this conception of God in the back of my mind that he's going to be way harder on me than I am on me. (laughs) Um, And so I I just need to like hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Um, But in reality, like I, you know, I may feel like just absolute trash. Like, if, if I feel guilty for something I've done, I may feel like I'm the worst Christian ever. Or if I'm going through suffering, I may be like some of Job's friends and be like, you know what? Uh, you, you really must've screwed up somewhere along the way for God to be treating you like this. Mm. Um, that's, that's really interesting. I, cause I've talked to people who feel just like you do, where you have a, an ability to feel like you are uniquely bad mm-hmm. in that, what you are is something that God can't forgive. And what you've done is something God can't forgive. And I think that a lot of people feel that way. I'm not sure if that's based on personality type or just your experience with Christianity or with, with God, but a lot of people feel that what they've done is uniquely bad and they feel just horrified at themselves, like a worthless piece of trash. And like, even if God wanted to forgive them, they're just not worth God's effort to forgive. And that's a horrible way to feel. Well, and I think it's, it's also worth noting like that feeling when we're in the midst of despair and sin. And, um, you know, if, if we believe in actual spiritual powers of, of good and evil and Mm -hmm. of, you know, Satan and demons, we've mentioned spiritual warfare, like what better way to, to, you know, hijack this, this, uh, you know, train of events and this progress that a person would be making than to convince them that they're way too far gone to even seek redemption, to seek reconciliation. So why bother? Yeah. Nope. That's very good. Um, I was going to say too, I think another, I'm not sure how many people feel like this. It might be a smaller subset, but the way I feel is well first of all my personality is is more empathetic and more of a i tend to feel what other people are feeling and what i'm feeling where i think a lot of people feel themselves very strongly 
but when I'm with other people, I can't help but kind of feel what they're feeling. It's very hard for me to just segregate myself off. Mm-hmm. And one of the funny things about the way that makes me feel about repentance when I've done something really bad is that I don't think that I'm uniquely the worst person because for one, I believe that Paul felt that way when he said it. I believe that you feel that way when you say it. And I believe that a lot of people feel that way. And if I was to say it too, I would have to say, well, we can't all be right. Like we can't all be the worst person, but I understand that everyone feels like they're the worst person. So even if you're not the worst person, you're bad enough that, that God couldn't possibly forgive you. Right. So that's kind of where I I tend to land is not that I'm like, I think I'm the worst person, but I think I'm bad enough that you shouldn't care about me. And I also feel that about everybody else at the same time. So my problem ends up being, God, why would you want any people? Yeah. Like, why did you? We all suck. Why do you want us? (laughs) Yeah. Like, why did you create any of us? And why did you feel like any of us were worth saving? And that's where my mind goes. Like, I can't imagine a God who is so big so loving and so good that he would take an entire planet full of people who are literally worse than I think should be saved. Like, I think there's no hope for any of us. And I don't understand why God loved any of us. Because if if half of what you say about yourself is true, God shouldn't love you. If half of what I know about myself is true, I don't think God should love me. But it's literally the definition of the word gospel. Like it's a, it's a piece of really good news Mm -hmm. that despite everything we know to be true about ourselves, God loved us anyway, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, like the righteous for the unrighteous God for the godless, um, knowing that some of us in the future would come to repentance. But even while we were still as bad as we could possibly be in our sin, God felt it worthwhile to die for us. And that's just something that if you sit down and think about it, if if that doesn't give rise to a tremendous amount of gratitude in your heart, I don't know what will. Like if you actually sit down and do the hard work of thinking about it, because it's a pretty overwhelming thought. Yeah. One of, one of the things um, that has kind of change my perspective on this. I won't say it's taught me necessarily, but it's just changed my perspective of why, why would God even like tolerate us? Why would he, uh, why, why does he care so much? Um, I don't, I, I think maybe there's a, um, I don't think God can, can help, but to exult over Jesus as his son. I don't think he can help himself, but to, to feel immense joy and love and satisfaction in knowing his son. Um, and I, it, it kind of makes me think of, of parenthood. Like when I had kids, if you had asked me before I had kids or told me like, man, there's going to be some times where they really test you. And there's going to be some times where they're just flat out disobedient. Um, they're going to hurt your feelings. You know, are you sure you really want this? Um, I probably would have written it off, but like at now looking back, if you had, if you asked me knowing what you know, now, would you have still had kids if you, 
um, if you knew that they were going to disobey and, and, you know, hurt you and, and this and that, uh, the way that they have over the years, I'm like, of course I would like, why would I not? I, it's just not even in, it's not even comparison. I just, my love for them is too great. And I, I kind of feel like that's maybe the way that God feels about us. Like, um, we have this picture of God who is weighing our good versus our bad and seeing all the bad, there can't possibly be enough good to overcome all of that. But that's not even the same calculation that God's using. He just loves us because that's who he is and because that's who we are in relation to him. And we're in Christ and Christ is his son who he has joy over. Um, So I think, you know, you mentioned Paul when he was talking about being the chief of sinners. Um, Paul made it his mission to murder Christians <laughs> and he knew all of the laws. And that's what that whole passage was about, right? Where he was saying, look, if anybody uh, is, is bad in this circumstance, it's me. Um, and yet he said, but there's grace for me. Um, and so I would say uh, you aren't the worst Christian ever. Um, but even if you were like, just for sake of argument, if you were the worst Christian ever, there's grace enough for that. Like that's, that's what's so cool about the gospel is there's no limit on the grace that can, that God lavishes that stuff on us. Um, the Bible says, so, um, all people have uh, an experience of feeling some kind of spiritual distance from God from time to time. Maybe that's a result of your sin. Maybe it's a result of your suffering, but regardless, it's just part of being human um, because we're not perfectly sharing oneness with God in its fullness yet. And I'm reminded of like even Jesus on the cross when he was uh, made to be sin for us and God was pouring out wrath and judgment on Jesus on our behalf so that we could get off scot-free. Uh, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was a part of him that felt f- probably for the first time disconnected from God in a way he had never experienced before. And Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he felt disconnected from his father. So if Jesus can feel disconnected from his father, it's completely human for us to to feel that way. But it doesn't mean that it's beyond uh, redemption and beyond repair. Hmm. Well, that was very encouraging to me. Thank you. Well, good. Um, so, so what then? Uh, once we admit it, we own it. Um, once we take a minute to realize that uh, not to lessen the importance of what we're changing, but um, but to realize that the problem isn't just unique to us, that there have been other people who have gone through this too. Um, you know, I'm reminded of First uh, Corinthians uh, 10, uh, where it says, no temptation has come upon you except what's common to humanity. This is common. This happens. So once we realize that, uh, we we admit it, we own it, we realize that it isn't a problem to us. Um, then I would say the next step is we need to kind of survey the options, right? Like what are, um, we, we kind of have identified and kind of dialed in on what's currently happening. Uh, but I think we need to ask ourselves, what do we want? 
and we've kind of hit at this before, but really take the the time to ask myself, what do I want? And maybe a good follow-up question to that is, what should I want? And I feel like a lot of times we, we intuitively know what we should want. Uh, like our conscience kind of picks at us a little bit. Um, and we know what we should want, even if it's not what we really want in, in the moment. Um, and then also, you know, we should ask ourselves, like, what are you, what are you currently doing? What's your current state? By that point, you, you probably identified the issue, right? Um, if you haven't spent some time identifying the issue, name it, admit it, own it, be honest about it, and then kind of weigh your options. What do you really want? Hmm. So let's, let's pick at that just a little bit. So you said, what should you want? Um, now looking for Sunday school answers only here, but where, where would I go to, to figure out what I should want? Let, now let's say that I, I don't really know. Like, I think it's great that you're telling me that I should do, uh, the right thing and that there is, I guess, out there a set of things that I should want, but are those just in the Bible? If, if so, what book are they hidden in? Or should I go consult a trusted friend or a, a priest or a rabbi that, that walk into my nearest bar? Or what, what should I do to figure out what I should want? I would say all of the above. Um, now, uh, obviously, there are going to be some of those options that are probably uh, more likely than others to give you um, answers in line with, uh, with biblical teaching and, and, you know, God's heart. Um, you might get some generally good life advice. If you walk into a bar, um, you may even come across a Christian who knows his Bible inside and out and, uh, who follows Jesus very well. Um, but generally speaking, I probably wouldn't put that one as high on the list as say, prayer and counsel from other Christian friends, uh, like in my church or, um, you know, uh, Bible reading on the topic. Um, and you know, that's part of the benefit of just, uh, consistent Bible reading. Um, and I think why that is probably the hardest thing, uh, to keep up for a lot of people is, um, there's like, that's the best way that you can build yourself up. And to, uh, to prepare yourself for these moments where, how am I supposed to know what I should want? Well, the more you're in scripture, reading scripture, chewing on it, uh, digesting it, internalizing it, uh, the more you're going to intuitively know what it is you should do. Um, and you'll be, you'll be impressed at like how your thinking changes such that you, you intuitively know what the right thing is. Um, right. I think that's a really good answer because it's, it's hard. You can't really tell someone, go read your Bible. And then they say, where do I start? Like, do I start in Leviticus? And that's where I'll know what I should want for my life. But you're right. It's God's word that he's spoken to us. And we believe that as Christians, the Holy Spirit actually indwells us. And the Bible talks about how he can help us understand the scripture and, and help remember, us understand and remember, remember the words that he said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to understand the, the will of God there and he helps us and he even, and the spirit in Christ intercede on our behalf before God. So if we're spending that time searching the scriptures, it's not like we're just blindly opening a giant book and hoping our finger lands on the right passage. 
God himself. Although that's is, better than nothing. That's better than nothing. That's right. And we'll get there. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but the spirit of God has actually promised to help you um, read this, this book of words from God and to guide your heart in that. And that's, that can sound a little woo woo, but it's actually the God's honest truth um, where, where God is, is literally there with you in that effort. So if you want to understand, um, then he'll show you God. One of the, one of the actual promises that God gives us is let the person who wants wisdom ask for it. And God will give that to them to, um, to understand and to know his will. It's not like he's trying to hide that from us. But I, I think it is true also that sometimes he puts us in a situation where he kind of uh, tests what we really want, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't think that God hides knowledge from anyone, but that doesn't mean he doesn't put you in a position where maybe you have to make an effort to seek it out, you know? And if you don't want to make the effort, how bad do you really want it? You know? Um, so, um, you know, and I, I would also say, um, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, weighing your options and what do you want versus what do you should want? I feel like it's easy sometimes, um, to confuse what you should want with what you do want. Um, and that we, we kind of tend to pass over that like, um, okay. So I know I shouldn't lie. Ultimately, I really don't want to lie, but I do. Okay. Well, are you, do you really not want to lie? Or do you know you shouldn't want to lie? Like, don't confuse what you should want with what you do want. Sometimes being honest and admitting and owning that behavior uh, means being clear about the fact that this is what I should want, but in reality, I really don't want it. Um, I, I didn't. I really don't want to tell the truth, even though I know that if I'm following God, I should. And so I would say, don't just pass over the the distinction between what do you want versus what should you want. Really try and clearly delineate both of those, and and see kind of how they match up. Um, to the point of uh, of Bible reading, I would say uh, also like I don't want to at all discount the fact that maybe there's a, a particular. Uh, struggle that you're having, right? Like uh, maybe it's uh, you just feel a, a general distance from God and you don't know why um, there's nothing wrong at all with going to the Bible and reading particular passages about that and trying to study more about that particular topic. I think all that we were saying in general was like, as you continue to do that more regularly and as you read widely throughout the Bible, it's really neat to see how the spirit works inside of you to tie those concepts together and change the way your brain uh, filters the ideas that are, that are coming through it in light of what you know to be true uh, because of your interaction with the Bible. Um, right. And also to that point, um, yes, more targeted reading of, of scripture is fantastic. And also we, we don't want to discount what other people can speak into our lives, like the wisdom of other, of other believers and wise friends, um, the immense blessing of a, a pastor that is caring for your soul in the way that the Bible envisioned. 
like humans are not meant to live in isolation. Like it's a, an absolutely invaluable thing to have uh, trustworthy, honest people who can speak into your life because fortunately uh, they're not weighed down by what you want to do. They can actually see you without experiencing uh, your desires. And that gives them a perspective that try as hard as we might, we don't have because they're seeing us from the outside. So their opinions can often be, um, they can hurt a little bit because maybe they get a little bit too close to the the truth of what we're, uh, what we're doing or what we're feeling. Um, but we should always be willing to open ourselves up to, um, to loving words and even, even rebuke or correction from those people who love us enough to share that with us. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I'll say about, uh, kind of weighing those options is, um, sometimes it might actually be necessary to consider, um, whether what you should do, um, and what you conceive of as something that you should do, um, it might be necessary to consider whether that's something that's self-imposed or something that God really says you should do. Um, so, you know, for instance, um, and this is particularly true in um, in like uh, Christian subculture for individuals who are raised in uh, you know in Christian culture. Um, a lot of times we have pre-existing expectations of what proper Christian behavior is, but that may not be coming from Scripture. Maybe that's coming from tradition, or it's coming from your upbringing, or it's coming from a misplaced uh, sense of guilt. Uh, but, um, be sure that what you should be doing isn't something that you're just putting on yourself that God doesn't expect of you. Like the goal here is restoration. It's not guilt. God doesn't want you to feel guilty. Sometimes you feel guilty as a result of what you've done, but that's not what God is after. God is ultimately is after restoration, not guilt, and, and certainly not, uh, unnecessary and misinformed guilt. Um, and so, you know, God a lot of times is is more patient and understanding with us than we think he probably should be. And so sometimes it's worth considering whether what I feel like I should do is something that God has said I should do or something that I'm putting on myself um, that maybe uh, I'm attributing to the God. But in reality, that's not really something that he holds an expectation to me on. Right. And that kind of gets back to what we were talking about previously during like confession and repentance. Another danger is that we can, we can sort of tend to heap these performative goals up and say, look what I did to repent. Whew, okay. Now this is something that I've done here. Like I've given up my rock and roll music that makes me feel better. Or you're, you're just putting expectations on yourself that then you can meet to then feel better about it. It's kind of like the arsonist who puts out the fire. It's like, if, if only I can set a goal for myself that I can achieve in my own power, then I'll really have done something. And those aren't the sorts of things that God is looking for you to achieve. He's looking to achieve a relationship with you. He's not. And why would we think that, that impresses him anyway? Right. <laughs> like... <laughs> right. I broke my Rolling Stone CD in half. Now God is happy with me. But that is so much easier than us giving up our sinful desires in pursuing a relationship with God. If all I had to do was um, throw out all of my worldly habits according to 
some person who with very strict definitions, if that's all it took, then there's no need for God. Yeah. But as we've been talking about, it's, it's again, not about performance. It's not about specific things that we give up that God hasn't even said are sinful. It's about restoring a relationship with the God that loves you. And if anything is getting in the way of that relationship, those are the things that need to go. Well, um, and that's that's exactly why Jesus condemned the Pharisees, right? I mean, he called them whitewashed tombs because on the outside they're they're white and perfect and pure, uh, but on the inside they're full of like dead, decaying, dead stuff, um, and. <laughs> Like they they stink and they're decroted and just horrible, um, but they're they're whitewashed. They're nice on the outside. Um, and he says, like you, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, you tithe every kind of mint and herb and all this kind of stuff, which you should do, but you focus so much on doing these individual tasks, thinking that that somehow is going to uh, draw you into right relation or it puts you in right standing with God that you've ultimately, uh, you know, just, uh, disregarded the weightier matters of the law, uh, love of God, love of neighbor, right. The things that will actually help to draw you into right relationship with God. You've traded out for doing the right things for God because you think that will impress him. And he's like, you're, you're not. Uh, you're not impressive. God isn't impressed with you. And in fact, he, he really doesn't like how you live. Um, so you really need to, to look inward and see this death inside of you and really try to fix that part so that you don't have to whitewash the tomb on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So weigh your options. What do you want? What should you want? What are you currently doing? Think about how those things compare to one another. Um, you know, what should you be doing? What are you doing? How far apart are those things? Um, start thinking about a path to, to get from point A to point B. Right. All right. So you were, uh, sorry, just one last thing as you were talking just then, I was thinking of that verse in Hosea where God says for, for I desire steadfast love and and not sacrifice. I, I want you to know me rather than to have even burnt offerings. Like he's been saying that ever since the old Testament where the Israelites were like, we'll burn another cow. We'll kill another dove. We'll do all these things. And God's like, no sacrifices are great, but you just keep killing animals and you never love me. Mm -hmm. Uh, The new living translation renders it. I think really well. It says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to show me more love than I want your burnt offerings. And I think that really gets to the heart of like people never change. Like the ancient uh, Israelites in the desert wandering around killing all the calves are no different from us sitting here just trying to figure out what things we can do to impress God when he's saying, no, I just want you to love me like I love you. And I want that relationship with you. Stop killing all the cows. Yep. Being overdoing um, is generally the, the way that discipleship works. Um, God is more concerned about who you are and about how you are being in relation to, uh, him in relation to your sin in relation to, uh, I mean, because being leads to doing right. But doing, 
uh, very often uh, circumvents and sometimes even comes in uh, in conflict with actually being. Um, so yeah, being overdoing. Um, so how far have we gotten? Admit you, uh, admit the issue, uh, own it, uh, realize this problem isn't unique to you. Weigh your options. What do you want? What should you want? What are you currently doing? Um, after those three, I would say this is kind of where things, uh, probably take a turn for the better. And we start to, to transition to, um, to change. Uh, so the next step I would say would be, uh, imagine reconciliation. Um, and what I mean by that is use your God given abilities of imagination, uh, for the good of your soul. Um, so instead of focusing on what is right, what the current situation is, or even what the current or what the situation should be, um, I would say, try to develop an imagination for what could be like, what's the best case scenario. Um, if, if you weren't as distant from God as you are right now, if you were just as close to God as you possibly could be, what would that look like? What is your ideal relationship with God look like? When Jesus says that, um, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, that following him is an easy yoke. What does it look like for you to bear Jesus easy yoke? Like, does his yoke feel easy to you right now? Like, what would that look like? Um, how would it feel uh, if you put yourself in the story of the prodigal son, right? Where uh, the prodigal son uh, goes and basically uh, takes his father's inheritance and goes and spends it on, uh, you know, uh, riotous living and um, and prostitutes and just every kind of, uh, sensuality imaginable, everything that is fleeting and, um, you know, just passing in the world, uh, nothing with any kind of eternal or lasting significance at all. He just goes and wastes everything. And he basically, uh, gets to a point to where he's disowned his father. He's run away from his family. After everything you've done, if you put yourself in the prodigal son's shoes, after everything you've done, when you finally work up the courage, um, just out of sheer desperation to, to have something to eat, you work up the courage to see your father um, or uh, to go ask for his mercy. And you're expecting him to come down hard on you to really have to deliberate, like, am I really going to take you back after everything you've done? how would it feel to see your father like the father in the story where he basically gets rid of every kind of notion of propriety because like dignified, uh, pater familias, uh, in that day, you know, the, the, uh, the rulers, um, in the, the family heads in that day, they didn't run. Um, it was just a matter of dignity. It's something that in polite society, uh, was undignified, but this text says that, um, that the father ran to meet him. And so your father cares about you so much that he basically gets rid of all these notions of dignity and propriety and runs out to see you just out of his sheer love and joy to see you and be reunited with you. Like, what would that feel like? 
What if you had a relationship with uh, the father like Jesus did? Look at Jesus' relationship and his complete oneness uh, with uh, the father and his complete uh, and, and total communion with God. What would it look like if you had a had that kind of communion with God? One of the things that comes to mind often for me um, is the story of uh, you know where John uh, or the disciple that Jesus loved uh, in John thirteen twenty three um, says that he was reclining next to Jesus or he was sitting close to Jesus or he had his uh, he was reclining against Jesus' bosom. I think in in King James um, some. If I remember correctly, some uh, translations actually said you know, he was basically uh, reclining on Jesus' chest. He he loved Jesus so much. He had such a close relationship with Jesus that in that moment of intimacy and love and uh, and lack of uh, any kind of pretense, he felt comfortable just laying his head on Jesus' chest and being with him. Like, what kind of relationship? would that be? So maybe instead of focusing on what is or what should be, imagine reconciliation. Try to develop an imagination for what could be. What would be the best case scenario? What would that look like? And then once you've done that, I would say, ask yourself again if that's what your heart wants. Because if you actually take the time to imagine visually in your own mind what this looks like, I would contend if you're really a Christian, um, and it may not be immediate, it may not be like, it may be a process, but ultimately there's no way you're not going to want that. Because you feel guilty already, you feel sinful, you feel disconnected from God and your heart is yearning for this reconnection. And when you imagine it in those kind of terms and you think maybe that could be me, there's no way you're not going to want that. What do you think? I think that's really interesting. I've, I've never done that before and now I really want to, I think, uh, that will definitely be my homework. And I would also challenge, I suppose everyone who's listening, um, me included, to maybe do that this week. I want to think about what an ideal relationship with God would look like in my life. And, and like I said, I've never done that as an exercise. I've always either been feeling like I'm in a reasonably good place or a reasonably bad place and tried to get from the, the bad to the good and just try to claw back to the good. But I've never really sat down and imagined or tried to envision what an ideal relationship with God would look like. And I, uh, as I was listening to you talk, I think that's a really powerful exercise. So yeah. I'm going to try that and would encourage I, everyone else to give that a shot. And maybe I'll say like, there, there are some times in my life where, um, and you know, I, this is something that uh, I've kind of tended to naturally. And then maybe that's just my personality. Like I, I tend to imagine a lot. Um, and so maybe that's just a natural, uh, outlet for me, but I, something that I've found over the years is like, when I do feel, um, when I do feel distant from God, 
if it's something where I'm being sinful, and I think that 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 image in in John is uh, of John reclining up against Jesus, that picture of intimacy and calm, um, I think is is one that has always really resonated with me for some reason. Um, and so if I imagine that, if I'm feeling distant from God, and maybe it's not of, you know, after I do some soul searching, maybe I've determined, you know, it's not necessarily a sin issue. It's just, I'm in life and I need some comfort. Uh, sometimes, uh, it, I'll just imagine myself in that position and I'll just pray a simple prayer to God and be like, God, can I just rest with you for a while and just be with you? And I'll just imagine myself in that position with my King, with Jesus, and knowing that he takes the time and cares about me as a person um, enough to not only allow me to do that, but is the type of loving uh, brother that would enjoy my company like that. Um, it it goes a long way to making me feel closer to God. Uh, but then also, um, you know, that's not something I really feel comfortable doing if I've got this, this thing on my back, uh, making me feel guilty and making me feel ashamed of myself. And so it also has the effect of motivating me to, uh, to apologize, uh, before I feel comfortable in doing that. Um, so it's been something that's been helpful for me. Um, you know, try it. It may work for, uh, you know, some better than others. Your mileage may vary, but, um, it's been really helpful for me. Um, so once we, uh, own it, once we, uh, realize that the problem isn't unique to you, you weigh your options, you imagine what could be instead of what is or what should be, um, ask yourself, you know, what separates what is from what could be, um, what are the changes, you know, that you would need to make in order to, to get to what could be, um, you know, if, if you ask yourself, you know, do you actually want what could be uh, the ideal situation enough to make changes for it? Maybe the answer is no on that. Um, but maybe you still feel a desire to, to pull toward change. Like in your deepest heart of hearts, I really want to want to. That's where I find myself a lot of the time is like, I don't, I might not want to, but I, at least I want to want to, you know, <laughs> I feel like I should want to. Um, and you know, the, the verse that came to mind here, um, while I was kind of thinking through this is, um, the, the story of the father in, uh, with the, the daughter who had died, Mark nine twenty four. he said, um, uh, basically, uh, Lord, I believe help me in my unbelief. And so I would say, you know, if you feel like you maybe want to want to, um, you're, you're not really sure you're getting there, but you're not quite there. Man, just uh, in the in the simplest and most honest terms you can muster, um, I would say just pray to God, God, I know what I should do, but I'm really struggling with not wanting to do it. Can you help me? And just leave it at that. Like, that's enough, you know? Um, it doesn't have to be some drawn out pretty prayer of, you know, 
sackcloth and ashes of repentance. Maybe repentance starts with just acknowledging that my attitude needs to change and I'm, I'm weak and uh, Jesus knows what our weakness is like. Hebrews says. Um, and, and so maybe he can help me with that. Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's a really profound thought that Jesus knows what our weakness is like. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot that the Bible has to, to say about that, but the very fact that he became a person and now understands and can commiserate with our weakness, um, it's just, it's an amazing thought because he's really here for us. He's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. He's, he was a hundred percent man while at the same time being a hundred percent God. And, and that's the God who is willing to walk through all of this with us and thought it again was worth coming to this world as a man in order to save us and love us and give us that eternal relationship with him. It's just such an interesting thought. Yeah. Really encouraging for sure. Um, well, we are about uh, another hour in at this point. So what do you say we take our second break? And then uh, when we come back, we'll go through the last couple steps here. Um, take some time. Maybe if you're listening to the podcast and you need a, a minute to kind of process, um, take some time to, to process. If you're uh, maybe uh, do what Aaron said and um, take a minute to imagine uh, what the ideal relationship with God would look like for you. And then, uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about, um, how to make those changes and, uh, we'll try and land the plane. Sounds good. All right, we are back, and I'm sure that Carson will have things of substance to say. All I have to report is that during the break, I uh, I was washing my hands and looked up in the mirror and realized that I had gotten candle smudges on my face from when I'd been playing with my lighter. You right. silly, back silly to you. boy. Well, I mean, I don't really know how to follow that up. I'm, uh, we're over here, uh, the rest of us, me and the, and the listeners, uh, discussing the deeper things of the law, and you're over there like a child playing with your your candle, getting wax and soot all over your face. And then not only that, uh, but not realizing it until you see yourself in a mirror, which is really funny to me, but that's okay. I'm nothing if not a good metaphor for life. And being <laughs> as this is a complimentary relationship. Uh, okay. <laughs> so where were we? <laughs> um, all right. So oh, we were talking talk about, about uh, repentance. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. So uh, we talked about admitting and owning it, uh, realizing the problem isn't unique to you, weighing your options, imagining reconciliation. All right. So now this is where kind of things uh, take a turn. Um, once we've kind of identified uh, what separates what is from what could be uh, in terms of our relationship with God, um, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. And I would say that this next step is kind of where um, that distinction is drawn between what I would generally think of as confession versus repentance. Um, so I would say confession is pretty much always a part of repentance, but not repentance, you know, in and of itself. So um, the next step would be to start actually implementing some changes. Um, so we've talked about like 
cultivating the attitude of turning back to God, but like, let's actually translate that into actions. And, um, you know, God is, is ultimately after, um, a right relationship with you, but the way that that is maintained is through obedience, right? So ultimately there is a, um, there's action required, um, once we are able to get our heart in the right place. Um, so I think, you know, there are a couple different ways we can, um, think about implementing change. I'm not good at this, uh, because I generally, uh, take kind of an all or nothing approach. Um, like I just tend to go scorched earth. Um, like a lot of people do with, uh, like with dieting or, uh, like I do with dieting sometimes I just think, well, the only way this problem's ever going to get fixed is if I just go, uh, cold Turkey, scorched earth, um, all or nothing, no holds barred. Uh, we're just, uh, you know, holiness or bust, I guess is in, in this case, what we would be thinking. So um, if I'm like murdering people, I should try to like completely stop murdering people or should I just like start like kind of titrating down the amount of murders per month? Well, I would say, you know, any murder that you can avoid is ideal right? So less murders is better than a lot of murders, but ideally we want no murders. Um, Just trying to understand how to implement your system here. Okay. Right. Um, so no, I would definitely say that some sins, if, if it is a sin issue, um, they do require an all or nothing approach. Um, so murder, um, I think is, uh, you know, the example that I'd, I'd put in here, like just stop murdering people. Don't do it anymore. You need to stop. God doesn't like it. Don't do it. Um, you need to to treat that with, you know, extreme caution and uh, a very uh, high degree of seriousness uh, in the way that uh, that God does. Uh, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Uh, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And what he's getting at is that sin is a serious issue that has to be dealt with severely, um, by us. If we, if we want to maintain right relationship with God. Um, now there are some things that are easier to correct than others. Like it shouldn't be difficult. And I, I maybe I, I've, I've not really been, uh, in a position to kill anyone before, but maybe, uh, it wouldn't be, but I would imagine that it would be fairly easy to stop murdering people. Like, unless that's just your thing and like, you know, um, but I would imagine that of the things to avoid, that's probably an, a fairly easy one. Um, so there are some things where I think there's probably a fair expectation that you, um, all or nothing, right. You just stop doing it. Um, and, and put some people around you that can hold you, uh, to account for that and that know what you're doing and put guardrails in place to make sure you don't do it again. Uh, no more murdering, no more raping, uh, no more, uh, whatever, just those really, really heinous things just stop. But I would also say there's, uh, there's freedom in, in some of the smaller things that maybe God, leaves to our discretion. Right. Um, and this is where I get tripped up at least like there's some times where it's okay to start small 
and probably in terms of like overall life change, it's actually in your best interest to start small. Uh, but I just tend to, to be kind of a all or nothing type of person and, uh, just feel the need to go scorched earth all the time because I, I, for whatever reason, even though it never works for some reason, I've convinced myself that that's the only way that change happens. Hmm. Um, and like my, my track record, uh, if you look at the data, <laughs> does not support that conclusion at all. Um, but, uh, but I would say it's okay to start small on things that maybe uh, God in his word has been, you know, more or less silent on. Um, so for instance, one, one example would be, you mentioned uh, like just reading your Bible right? This is like really, really common, uh, for, for Christians to have trouble, uh, reading their Bible. Um, I would say it's good for us to, to maintain a, um, a reasonable perspective and expectation. Uh, like if somebody's addicted to heroin, um, I'm not, I'm not denying that a person could be both Christian and addicted to heroin, particularly if that person is a new convert who has just come to Christ, just because there's been a spiritual change in that person's life doesn't mean that there's automatically going to follow an immediate physical change, right? Like in that situation, their body has a chemical dependency on this drug to be able to function. Right. Um, so it is, not reasonable to expect that they are going to just stop heroin cold Turkey because they got saved. I know that's ideally what we, what we all want, but the reality is that there are, um, there are forces at work other than just spiritual. And part of the, the consequences of that lifestyle of sin over time is that it's had detrimental effects on their physical well-being, right? Um, so in that case, it's not uncommon to to expect that uh, a person who's struggling with that kind of addiction uh, might relapse, might relapse multiple times. But the question is, how do they how do they keep their attitude, and you know, do they do they get up? Sometimes those miraculous changes happen overnight. Um, so Saul on the road to Damascus, right. Is a, is an example of that. Like one day he's out, uh, hunting down and murdering Christians and, uh, seeing people get stoned. And he was like holding Stephen's jacket while Stephen was getting stoned. And the next minute he's on a road and he's blinded because he just has this miraculous, uh, intervention with Jesus, um, where Jesus is basically saying, what are you doing? And he had no good answer. So he comes to grips with what he's actually doing uh, and and his actions before God. And he just has an immediate turnaround to the point where the the people that knew about Paul uh, were still like scared of him at first, like didn't really know whether to trust him or not because he already had this reputation, but he just like changed overnight. Um, so it does happen, but it's not usually what happens generally um it's often the small changes that we make over time that have staying power um so i would say you know for an example of like something small like bible reading if you have problems consistently reading your bible my 
my approach to that generally would probably be, well, I'm just going to commit to reading the Bible in a year. This is the year I'm going to do it. Like, and instead of doing that, like just set a goal for the bare minimum. Like, because if you're not reading your Bible at all, any Bible reading is better than none. So just set something like a goal so small that there's like no way you can't attain it and that you would feel super, super guilty about if you didn't attain it. Right. Guilt like is the way, <laughs> right. Like, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, maybe set a, a goal of, I'm not going to read a chapter a day. I'm not going to read a book a day. I'm not going to read the Bible in a year. I'm just going to set a goal each and every day of reading one verse. Now, keep in mind that the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. So can you read two verses, like not even two verses, two words in, in a day? Like if you can do that, you've checked off and completed your goal. Congratulations. Like, but that at least sets you up for success to where you get a little bit of encouragement and say, okay, I'm succeeding in this. Maybe I can like bump up my goal a little bit. Um, and keep in mind, like, I feel like, and this one in particular, um, with the Bible reading, um, I feel like people put a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, you know, don't, I, I don't want to get the idea that we should be lazy or complacent, right? Because we, the, the Bible's a wonderful gift and it's something that, it is unparalleled in its ability to change us and shape our lives for the better. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't think we need to necessarily put more pressure on ourselves than God does. Like God hasn't commanded you to stick to a particular Bible reading plan. We have a kind of a Christian cultural expectation. You need to read your Bible every day. And I totally understand why and totally affirm that we should do that if we have the opportunity um, but I would also say, like, what about the first Christians, like in uh, Corinth or Thessalonica? Were they reading their Bibles every day? No, they didn't have Bibles. Like they had the 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 scriptures and they had the teaching of the apostles and they had letters that they would read out loud in, in public services. But like they weren't carrying around a, you know, an ESV study Bible with the, the footnotes and everything where they just had constant access to the scriptures all day, every day. Um, so God hasn't held us necessarily to, uh, to a standard that, you know, we're responsible, uh, for meeting. And I say that being mindful of the fact that like, if we have this gift of the word, like it's, we have more opportunity than just about any other, uh, people in history because of the the glut of information that's at our fingertips. So with that comes a responsibility to make use of it, right? And to, to put ourselves in, in a good position for spiritual health. But also like missing a day doesn't make you the worst Christian ever. And doesn't mean that you should just completely give up on, on the attempt to, to do it. Uh, if you missed a day, okay, you missed a day. Like it, it's okay set a goal, a small one, see how far you can get with it. And then, uh, maybe work up from there. Progress, uh, over perfection, um, is something that is really hard for me to learn, but I've found is, is beneficial for most things like progress over time leads to perfection. 
Um, but aiming at perfection right off the bat generally can hinder your progress. Um, so, and I think it's also helpful. Like once you have made at least some progress, you can always compare that to where you were versus where you are now, because uh, even, even small victories or something to celebrate. So I think that's very, very happy, happy and a good thing. And you can always give thanks to God for those small victories and and having said that i mean i think even this this kind of gets to what we were talking about before if you contemplate how god is working through his spirit in you you can see how he is restoring you and that you're making progress and it's not just you it's that you're uh, being receptive to god's spirit working in you and that's a really encouraging thing like we should never sell encouragement short for how it can um, help us to maintain those, those new attitudes. Well, and that's like the, the last step that uh, we were going to mention too, is uh, this idea of remembrance. Um, You know, remembering is something that um, like is commanded throughout the Bible. Um, God tells uh, the Israelites to remember when I, I brought you out of Egypt. Well, why does he want them to remember that? Well, exactly what you just said. You know, they get to see where they were versus where they are now. And that breeds in them a realization that God has helped them overcome their slavery to the Egyptians. And now they're flourishing in God's presence, right? So they're able to then give thanks for the progress um, when when they find it. And... Um, you know, knowing that this is, like you said, the the work of the Spirit, uh, that you're being changed in the likeness of Jesus, when you remember how things were versus how things are becoming and how things are uh, could be and, and kind of the trajectory that you're heading, you're you're able to to give thanks for that. And it encourages you and keeps you motivated to continue uh, on, on the path toward change. Um, well, and there's a flip side to that, too, because so you you remember where you were should should you also do you think remember the the sin that you were that you were in and do you think that there's value in casting your mind back to that place that you've come from yeah i mean i think it so remembering your sin i think can be kind of like a a two-edged sword right um on the one hand you know one of the things that God says about our sin is that he, he puts it away such that he, he doesn't remember it. He separates it as far uh, from us as the, the East is from the West. Right. Um, So God makes the decision not to remember our sin, to hold it against us. Right. So when we say, remember your sin, what we're not saying is um, dwell on it, uh, feel guilty about it, um, you don't need to feel guilty. Like Christ has redeemed you and you're being changed into his likeness. Um, but hopefully on the other side of that redemption, as you start to recognize where you came from versus where you are now, and you're contemplating the the depth of the sin that you were in from the perspective of now being out of that pit, right? Like you can look over the edge down into it and say, okay, that's where I was, but now I'm, I'm up here and and out of the pit. Um, that can be good in that, uh, hopefully it can eventually help you develop a, a distaste and a disdain for, for the sin so that moving forward, you're less likely to fall into it. 
Um, and you can ask for, for God's help in that. Um, now I said it was a, a two-sided sword because the other part of that is, um, you know, there is a tendency in all of us. I see this in my own heart where there's a part of you that sometimes remembers sin, uh, favorably, right? So for the same reason, sometimes when we enjoy our sin and we don't want to stop doing it because we really enjoy it, sometimes as we lose sight of what, um, of what's been given to us and of what following Jesus looks like and what communion with Jesus feels like and, and all that kind of stuff. Once we kind of get into the, uh, the in and out and we lose sight of that, maybe we fall into a little complacency. Maybe we start to remember our sin in a way that's favorable. Like uh, in other words, uh, maybe we start to long for it. Maybe we dwell on it. Maybe we fantasize about it. And that actually can be a sin in itself, like desiring those sins again um, after we've been delivered out of them can be uh, something that is a sinful. And, and this is where this process becomes cyclical, right? Um, you know, we don't want to, um, we don't want to fall back into the like old habits and, and things that God has already delivered us from. Um, and we know that, that God has, um, you know, worked on our, on our behalf and in our hearts. And we've already expressed sorrow to God for these things being wrong. And so now to start desiring them again, um, it, it just means that, you know, maybe we've lost sight of, uh, the goodness of God and, and what that relationship needs to look like. So, um, you know, when that happens and, and this is, I think, one thing that is uniformly um, consistent and it may not be consistent about the same sin over and over again, but uh, one thing is sure is that you will not attain sinless perfection on this side of heaven. So when you're remembering the good things, how God has brought you out of uh, your sin and delivered you from it, or how God has brought you out of that suffering and, or at least has, has brought you to a place of close communion with him such that you can bear up under the suffering. Um, you know, don't then, uh, you know, be afraid to start this process over because eventually as a fallible human being, you're going to stumble. Like you're going to fall back into some type of sin or become distant once again. Like that's when you go back to the beginning of this process and just start the whole process over again. And so when we talk about like how to repent, um, you know, we alluded to this earlier, like repentance and discipleship is a lifestyle. Like it's not just a one-time process to, to get fixed. And that's all you have to do. Like this is an every day, every moment type of process. That's that just defines us now as Christians who are battling a sinful nature on this side of heaven. One day, there's going to come a day where we don't have to worry about battling it anymore because the the change is going to be completed. But until that point, um, when we when we get to heaven and we're made new, um, in in uh, with a, a new uh, a new body and uh, uh, you know a glorified being, all that kind of stuff. Until that point, we still have on this this fleshly, uh, you know. 
uh, one pastor, I think, uh, compared it to like a stinky old coat that we just have to keep taking off. Um, and, you know, so part of that is going through this process uh, repeatedly. So um, from the beginning, admit it, own it, uh, realize the problem isn't unique to you, weigh your options, imagine what reconciliation might look like, um, ask yourself what separates what is from what could be, uh, make some changes, and then remember. And that remembrance, I would say, also is is also a consistent process. Like you need to constantly be remembering um, God's goodness in your life. And maybe not just about once, but just in general, like how far has God brought me over the last five years? Like where has God, where has God been clearly at work in my life over the past uh, three months? Um, remember those things, make note of them, write them down, whatever you do, uh, make a habit, uh, maybe even plan for ways to remember your progress and, and periodically just, uh, take a reassessment. Um, I was reminded of, uh, Philippians two twelve. It said, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, there is a, um, a seriousness to this that should, uh, motivate, a healthy dose of, of fear and, um, and should shake us right. Uh, in terms of the, the consequences of leaving sin unresolved. But I think this process is kind of what it means to, to work that out, to work out your salvation, like your salvation's already been accomplished, but in terms of how you live into that reality, you still have to work that salvation out, uh, with appropriate fear and trembling. So, um, so that's it. Uh, that's kind of that process in a, uh, very large nutshell. Um, parting thoughts. What are you, uh, what are you thinking? Um, as we close out the, uh, the episode. Well, uh, briefly going back to when we were talking about remembering sin, I think it is a really good note of caution that we don't remember our sin, too fondly because if you think about well let's think about it in terms of like a before and after picture for a diet you can always look back at the before picture and be like okay that's actually how i looked all right i don't want that anymore i like the new skinny me this this after picture is great and that you can see that in a photograph but you can't see that with sin you have no way of going back and actually seeing the heinousness and the hideousness of what it looked like to be actively rebelling against god and like actively going out of your way to choose other things before God. It's yeah, really what, easy. What you loved to... wasn't your obesity. It was the food, right? Like <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really easy to distort what your before picture was when you were living in that sinful state. Uh, and one thing I've noticed about really, really godly people is that they have an appropriate horror of what sin looks like in their lives. It's really interesting to be around godly saints who have spent a lifetime fighting sin, getting to know God, growing closer to Christ, becoming more of a disciple, and then seeing how they react to sin. And then based on where I'm at in my spiritual walk, either being like, oh, I, I didn't even realize the seriousness of that, or, or yeah, that's, that's great. They realize the re- and they recognize the seriousness of sin there. And so it's, it's really always been instructive to me to see the way that those really godly people react to when they see sin in either their lives or 
someone else's life and not calling it out in like a sanctimonious way, but when it's a real true sin to see how that affects them and to see the gravity that that has in their lives. So that's always been very instructive to me. Um, And then besides that, I think that's about everything that I had. What about yourself? Yeah. um, I would just reiterate, like, this is a uh, kind of a a cyclical, progressive, unending process um, that happens. uh, Basically, um, if you get right down to it, should be happening all day, every day um, until we are made uh, complete after death. And I think Um, it's really important there that you're not casting a pallor of doom and gloom over people like say, you're never going to succeed at this. You're just pushing the rock up the hill and it rolls back on you forever. Walking with Christ, we should say, is a a joyful thing. I think one of the main thrusts of today's conversation is that walking with Christ can be the most wonderful, fulfilling, amazing part of the journey of your life. But when we are constantly in this battle of choosing between sin and we're currently running back to that, to that muddy well of sin that we draw our water from, um, that can feel like a rock that you're constantly pushing up a hill and it rolls back on you. So the fact that you're saying that it's cyclical and progressive and unending, you're not describing a joyless process there. No, and I'm certainly not uh, at all attempting to describe you futility. Like this is not a futile process. Um, it is a process that is in, in scripture is guaranteed to succeed, right? Like you have every reason to expect that you will be changed, that you are being changed into the likeness of Christ. Um, so I would say like, if anything, just the opposite, like don't approach this from a perspective of, uh, of futility and being discouraged. But, uh, on the other hand, like approach this from, uh, the, the perspective that like your success in this is already secured. Um, it's just a matter of living into it. And ultimately I think that's what, uh, being a disciple is about. Like God has declared us, uh, to be righteous. Even when we were sinners, God, you know, uh, Christ died for us and, um, God has made us a new creation. The Bible says, um, so, if we are a new creation and God has declared us righteous, then this kind of internal process with us is ultimately all about getting us to live into who we really are rather than just kind of settling for, for what is currently. Um, so, you know, getting away from, uh, what, what is to what could be, or to what God has said is really true. Like that's what this is about. And you're going to be much happier and, and whole when the life that you live is in alignment with who it is that God has, uh, created you to be. So, um, the only other thing I would say is, um, uh, I'd be interested to hear like, what are some ways in which, um, anybody who's listening to the podcast, like, uh, what are some ways in which, maybe they have applied this or something like it. Um, is there anything that they would like add or adjust to this process? What's worked for them? Um, uh, is there anything that, uh, that 
you know, they had or uh, anything that they thought was, you know, insightful. Uh, we'd love to hear that kind of stuff. Um, you can go to anchor.fm slash true to life. And on the right hand side, uh, there's a little message button. If you click that message, uh, it'll let you uh, leave us a voicemail and we'll be able to um, to to hear from you. And it would be a big encouragement to us, um, I think, to, to know that this is uh, helping people and impacting them in some way. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for all of your uh, your thoughts and encouragement. That was really good. And I uh, I really am going to uh, look forward to that exercise we talked about of uh, thinking about an ideal relationship with God and uh, and using that to kind of guide my my decisions this week and see see how that works. I'll report. Well, back you know what they say: the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Never heard that before. <laughs> no, I know you will, buddy. Um, and certainly if there's anything that I can do uh, this week to, to help you in that, you have my number. Um, but yeah, thank you for your time as well. And uh, um, I guess uh, we will see everybody in about two weeks. Sounds Bye.